0: Now, today I want to talk to you on the topic, the power of agreement. The power of agreement. I want you to turn to the person next to you and say, listen, I want to agree with you. (laughs) Some of y'all look mad awkward. You're like, I didn't come to church to talk to anybody today. (laughs) The power of agreement. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 18. We're going to look at verses 18 to 20, but we're going to jump all throughout the word of God. So if you have your Bibles, make sure to have your fingers ready. We're going to go different places. But this is a word that God has been speaking to me, and I feel that it is for us in this hour. The power of agreement, Matthew 18. We're going to look at verses 18 to 20, 18 to 20. Can we cut on that AC unit over there if that's not on? pretty hot up here. Matthew 18 verses 18 to 20. I'm gonna read it out loud. You can look along with me. This is Jesus speaking. He says, truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Amen. The Bible tells us right here that there is significant power when you and I agree. Amen. Jesus says it right here. He says, if two of you, just two, if two of you agree on anything. He says, it will be done for you by my father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among us. The Bible says that there is significant power as you and I gather together in agreement. And Jesus lays it out for us that as you and I gather together and agree upon anything, it will be done by our Father in heaven, right? We just read that. It's pretty clear. But these are huge words that God brings before us. I mean, these words essentially mean that whatever you and I decide, it is done. That when we gather together in this place, that even this gathering, as we pray in his name, as we speak in his name, if we can agree, it has significant power. You know, here, our community, we really believe that we are going to see the complete transformation of Itaewon. For some of you who may be new to Seoul, Itaewon is the multicultural area of Seoul. Like, you know, you're in Gangnam, you're in other areas, you see a foreigner like every once in a while, you know, you walk through and you see a foreigner and you're just like, oh, you know, hey. I know I know for me, I have that that unspoken rule, you know, especially some foreigners, you know, we see each other. (laughs) Why are you already laughing? Okay, and they're black, you know, (laughs) and we're on the subway. We don't even you know, we don't even say hello or anything. It's just all the way across the room. Oh, I see you. I see. (laughs) And, you know, what we're saying to each other, you made it. You know, Itaewon is an area, Itaewon is an area filled with people of many different backgrounds, but there's also a lot of darkness in this area. And so we as a community, we have agreed that we are believing for God bringing transformation to that area. That as we are here as a community, as we are planted here, that as we pray and agree, we're going to see light transform Itaewon. The power of the gospel transform Itaewon. Because there's power in agreement. Right now, as a leadership, we are uh, coming together in the month of October and we are fasting as a leadership. So we're fasting uh, and we're believing for supernatural breakthrough in our community, in our families and in our personal lives from fasting of one of three things. We're either fasting from in fasting. I want to tell you, fasting is not, you know, giving up bad things. Fasting is giving up good things for something better. We fast because we desire to encounter Jesus in a greater way. And so we're fasting from one of three things. We're fasting from uh, movies, music, and television, you know, secular movies, music, and television. Uh, that's what I'm doing. It's so hard. You know, I mean, I'm just saying, it's just been very difficult for me. Um, I got a couple of TV shows that just, you know, they're, they're bondages that had to be broken off of my life. Twenty four is one of them. How many people like twenty four is old, but for some reason it just I could keep watching it. It's, it's weird. Uh, anyways, Uh and then also social media. Mm, how many of us need to take some time off social media? I don't know why you all acting like y'all don't know. It's like 90 percent of y'all. And then the last thing is food. Now, not complete food, but either fasting from meat, brothers, Or one meal a day or fasting from one meal a day and just taking that time to seek the Lord together. Why are we doing this? And even as I tell, even as I say it right now, if you are not a leader and you're hearing me say this, I want to invite you into this. Some of you are like, I'm not doing it. I want to invite you into it. Why? Because there's significant power in agreement. I believe that as we gather together and as we continue to pray this month, we're going to see crazy things start to happen in your lives all through the power of agreement. But how many of us know that before you and I can agree with one another, what is of even greater importance is not just that you and I agree with one another, but that we agree with God. Because there's so much power in agreement that if we are in agreement about the wrong things together, we will establish on the earth the wrong things. We see in the Bible that where people gathered together, but they were in agreement about the wrong things and not in agreement with God, the wrong things got established in the earth. We see it in Genesis chapter 11 in the Tower of Babel. It says all the people together had the same language. They were the same people. And they gathered together in agreement and decided to build this tower. And they were essentially saying all in agreement that we can become God. We can rule on our own. We don't need God because we can agree together. And there's so many people that we don't understand that there's significant power in agreement. Psalm chapter 1, even Proverbs 1, it tells us not to to be with fools or scoffers, not to spend time with people who are constantly talking smack, not to spend time with fools. Proverbs is all about keeping your distance from fools. Why? Because if you come into agreement with fools, you will end up doing foolish things. Even in Genesis chapter 3, we see that our parents, Adam and Eve, they came into agreement. But their agreement was in disobedience to God. And so they were in agreement with one another, but in disagreement with God and their sin established all of humanity in sin. See, there's so much power in agreement. There's power in agreement for either good things or bad things. But before I talk, we talk about being in agreement with one another. The initial question is, are you in agreement with God? You know, the simple thing, what I want to really hone in on today and what I want to really hone in on as I talk about the power of agreement today is that before you disobey God, you have to disagree with him. When Adam and Eve, they disobeyed God, it started because they disagreed with him. That in their hearts, the enemy came and he planted a seed of disagreement. You know, God said that if you do this, He said, don't do this. But, you know, I tell you the truth. If you eat it, you'll become like God. And all all of a sudden in their hearts became a disagreement with God. And that disagreement led to disobedience. Many people are always wondering, why do I keep doing the same things? Why do I keep sinning the same ways? Why do I keep having this type of bondage on my life? And it's not because you need to get better about obeying God. It's about learning how to live in agreement with him. You hear what I'm saying today, church? See, the reason why many of us live in disobedience to God is because we first have been living in disagreement with him. The reason why we sin, why we strive, why we go through all these hardships that we don't have to go through is because we're living in disagreement with God before we live in disobedience. I want to talk about three areas where we need to learn how to agree with God today. Three areas where we need to learn how to agree with God. The first area is that we have to be in agreement with who God says we are. We have to learn how to live in agreement with who God says that we are. And this is this is a key importance, because when you are in agreement with God as to who he says you are, it has power over how you live. Proverbs 23, 7 says that as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. Meaning that what you think about yourself, how you view yourself is how you will live your life. And if that picture of yourself, if what you look at, what you see when you look at yourself in the mirror is in agreement with God, then you'll obey God your life will take on that picture but if what's on in, what's going on in your heart and what you meditate on in terms of your self image is different than who God says you are it's really impossible to obey god it's really hard to obey god if in your heart you're in disagreement with him you know jesus This is so important because even with Jesus, when Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River and he came out, the the heavens opened and the father spoke to him. And what was the first thing God said to him? He said, this is my beloved son, whom I love, in whom I am well pleased. Now, imagine if Jesus heard that word and he was like, you know what? I don't really agree with you. That's a good word, but I don't really believe it. And then the spirit led him into the wilderness. The first thing that Satan tempted him with was what? If you are the son of God, if you are the son of God, then command these stones to become bread. If that's true, Satan. I mean, God said that, but I don't agree with him. You know, there's so many of us. The reason why we struggle is because we live with in disagreement with God in regards to who God says that we are. Somebody walks up to you and says, man, you are a mighty man of God. Thank you. Thank you. You know, as a pastor, I can always tell when I pray for someone and then they don't receive it, it's like, God says you are amazing. God says you're mighty. God says you're awesome. Thank you. <laughs> what? You know, usually when a person's receiving the word of God, there's, there's something that changes on the inside. As things start to get broken off, ways that they saw themselves start to change. But a lot of times people can speak words. You ever have that moment where people tell you all these amazing things about yourself, but it doesn't it doesn't even register. Hey, man, I really like your outfit today. Thank you. Man, God says you're mighty. God says he's filled you with his Holy Spirit. God says he's put an amazing plan and destiny over your life. Sure. It feels like you're just, it feels like you got on like the Iron Man suit. Like every word they speak, it just keeps bouncing off. You know why that is? It's because deep inside you're in disagreement with who God says you are. And if you're in disagreement with who God says you are, no man or woman can speak into your life and it take residence and take hold. Because you first have to be in agreement with God. I want to talk about a man in the Bible who, lived in disagreement with God, specifically in terms of who God said he was. I want you to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 9. 1 Samuel chapter 9, and we're going to look at a few verses. This is a man by the name of Saul. So before you see Saul in the New Testament, Saul that became Paul, you have the original Saul. (laughs) The New Testament, Saul was the remix. This guy in chapter 9 is the original Saul. Saul, now let's look, First Samuel chapter 9, verses, we're going to look at 1 and 2, and then we're going we're to look throughout verses chapter 9 and, and chapter 10. First Samuel 9, it says, There was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish. That's a name. The son of Abiel, son of Zeror, son of Bakorath, son of Aphea a Benjamite, a man of wealth. So Kish was wealthy. And he had a son whose name was Saul, a handsome young man. Okay, so Saul was not only, he was wealthy and he was handsome. There was, <laughs> for, for those in the back who are wondering what just happened, somebody up front said, hey, <laughs> we know what they're praying for. for a ain't that something <laughs> let's continue and he had a man whose name was Saul a handsome young man hey there was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he now's the appropriate time to say hey oh but not only that but from his shoulders upwards he was taller than any of the people Sam was Sam Oh, I was looking at Sam <laughs> Sam, you are handsome and wealthy, I guess, hopefully. We're going to leave out the tall part. Uh, let's keep going. Um, I'm 5'8". I'm not tall either. Okay, let's keep going. Um, Saul was wealthy, handsome, and tall. The Bible says he was the most handsome man in Israel. He was the most handsome man in Israel. You would think that Saul knew he had it going on if the Bible said he had it going on. You know? The Bible says that he is the flyest guy in Israel. And he's the tallest. Like how I wish. You know, he's like six foot, I don't know, whatever. Six foot six. Is that? Is that that's tall. That's like, wow. He's like Shaquille O'Neal height. He looked like a model and he's wealthy. Bless him. (laughs) And so we see this about this is how it starts off describing Saul. Now, if you keep reading, it says that Saul had some donkeys, right? That Kish had some donkeys, which meant Saul had some donkeys. And the donkeys went out and they got lost. And so Saul and his servant lost the donkeys. And so they lost the donkeys. They looked all around for the donkeys because why? Because donkeys, they, they were money. There was livestock. It represented cash money. And so they go out and they're looking for the donkeys everywhere. They cannot find them. So the servant says, hey, Saul, I hear there's a man of God in the area. We should go find him. And what's Saul's response? Saul says, "But well, we ain't got anything. We lost our donkeys. Here's what he say. But if we go, what can we bring the man? Verse seven. There's no, the bread in our sacks is gone, and there's no present to bring to the man of God. What do we have? You can even almost hear it. But the, the servant answers, Saul and says, hey, I got a quarter of a shekel. I've got this bag of silver right here. Let's go. So he goes, and they they realize that Saul, Saul's sitting there saying, I don't have anything. I'm poor. I don't have anything. We can't go to the man of God. But the servant's like, actually, Saul, we've got this bag of coins right here. It's like that moment that I had a couple years ago where I thought my, my bank account said 200 won. But then in my, in my top drawer, I had that bag of coins. You ever had that bag of coins? <laughs> you take it to KB. You can take it to any of the banks and you just pour it in and it sorts it for you. And then it deposits it right into your account. I love Korea. In America, they make you like get the little things and you have to put it in one at a time. That's just wrong. That's unjust, unjust, not unjust. But he's got this mindset that he thinks he's poor, but he's like, well, no, we have this silver. So they go to the man of God. They go to Samuel. And then when they get to Samuel, Samuel, he looks at him and God had already spoken to him and said, the man that shows up, you need to anoint him because he's going to be a prince. He's going to be a leader over the people of Israel. And so Saul shows up, Samuel's looking in the distance. He sees him, you know, he's tall, he's handsome. And he's, and God's like, that's the man. So he walks up to him and he, he walks up to him. And then Samuel begins to talk to him. And Samuel says, Hey, you know what? We need to stay here together because I'm going to tell you the word of the Lord. Verse 19. He says, Samuel answers, Saul, I am the seer. Go up before me to the high place for today. You shall eat with me. In the morning, I will let you go and will tell you all that is on your mind. That's true prophecy is when God speaks to you about all that's on your heart and mind. And then Samuel says, as for the donkeys that were lost three days ago, don't think about them, for they have been found. And for whom is all that is desirable in Israel? Is it not for you and all your father's house? Immediately when Saul walks up, Samuel gives him this amazing prophetic word. He tells him about the donkeys. Saul didn't even mention the donkeys, but Samuel's talking about the donkeys. Hey, you came here looking for donkeys. Don't even think about it. I'm going to tell you what's all in your heart because aren't you the most desirable? But how does Saul respond? He says, am I not a Benjamite from the least of the tribes of Israel? And is not my clan the humblest of all clans of the tribe of Benjamin? Why have you spoken to me this way? Even though he speaks to him and gives him all these prophetic words, Saul, who's wealthy, handsome and tall, who just has money to come before the man of God and the man of God speaks to him. And he says, wait, why do you speak to me? I'm the least of these. Because the way that he saw himself was very different than the way Samuel saw him. See, the way God saw Saul was that Saul had kingship on his life. But the way that Saul saw Saul was that he had nothing on his life. And see, there's many of us who when we look at ourselves in the mirror, we don't see what God sees. In fact, when God speaks over our lives and says that I put destiny over you, I've put blessing over you, I've called you to, to go and set other people free, I've put so much on your life, we stand there and we're like Saul and we say, I am, I'm the least of these. Don't you know what's wrong? Well, don't you know what's going on with me? You know what goes on to happen after that was Samuel was real cool. He, he said, Hey, how about you send your servant on and I'm going to talk to you one on one. And so when the servant leaves, Samuel, he pulls out a jar of oil and he he pours out oil over him and anoints him as king. He anoints him as king in front of every in, in, he, in private first. He anoints him as king in private and he gives him all these prophetic words. He tells him that you're going to go and you're going to be around these prophets and the power of God's going to come upon you and you're going to become a new person. And then what's going to happen next is that the donkeys are going to come back. He even tells him he's going to get his donkeys. And then Saul leaves. Lo and behold, he gets to this place and the power of God comes upon him. He's shaken on the ground. He's prophesying. And then the next thing that happens is he gets the donkeys back. So every prophetic word that he's spoken, he gets back. I mean, if that happened to you and I, don't you think that it would speak to us that we are really the king's? that we're really supposed to do what we're supposed to do, right? But Saul, it still doesn't happen. So let's look at verses 17, 17 to 22. It says, Saul called the people together at the lo- to the Lord at Mizpah, And he said to the people of Israel, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I brought up Israel out of Egypt and delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians, from the hand of all the kingdoms that was oppressing you. But today you've rejected your God, who saves you from all your calamities, your distresses. You said, "Set a king over us." Now, therefore, present your, yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your thousands. So he's gathering all the people together because he's going to present Saul as king. Then Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel near, and the tribe of Benjamin was taken by lot. He brought the tribe of Benjamin near by its clan, and the clan of the Matriots was taken by lot. And then Saul. The son of Kish was taken by lot, meaning that they, he publicly selected Saul. But here's what it says. But when they sought him, he could not be found. They're like, where's Saul? Now, Saul is the tallest man in Israel. He's the tallest by far, and he is the most good looking. You would think that everyone knows where Saul is 24 seven. No, some of y'all ain't like that, you know? You don't know when that... Okay, anyways. They should know where the most good-looking person in the room is. (laughs) That made me sound mad fickle. (laughs) But I'm keeping it real. They should know, right? Like, you would know where the most good-looking guy in the room is and the tallest guy in the room. Like, during worship, you're standing behind him trying to see the slides, right? (laughs) You know? They cannot find him. They cannot find him so much that it says, verse 22, they had to pray about it. They inquired of the Lord. Is there a man still to come? Meaning, where is he? And the Lord said, behold, he has hidden himself among the baggage. The tallest man in the room is hiding behind a bag. He had hidden himself. See, the word of the Lord to you today is that there's so many of you whom God has called you to rise up, but you're hiding yourself. So many of you whom God has called to rule and reign, so many of you whom God has called to take greater authority, to help lead others. But instead, you're hiding yourself because you don't believe that, God, that you are who God says you are. You don't believe that God has actually made you wealthy, that he will supply all your needs. You haven't believed the fact that he's put a calling on your destiny a calling on your life. And when God speaks to you in your heart, you're saying, you know what, God, I disagree. How many of us is that the case? Well, when God's speaking to us, we're in disagreement. What are you disagreeing with God about in regards to who you are? Do you believe that you're weak? Well, God says, let the weak say I am strong. Do you believe that you're unsavable? I mean, this is a huge lie in the body of Christ. So many people believe that they're unsavable. You know, my problems are too great. My problems are too strong. But Jesus's blood, he has ransomed us from every sin. It says that we confess our sin and he is faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness meaning that there's no sin that is too great for the blood of Jesus. You are not unsavable. How many of us believe that what God says, I can set you free from that addiction, but instead we say, no, no, it's too great. Not knowing that the Bible says if the son has set you free, you are free indeed. That there's nothing, neither past, present, nor future, nothing, neither angels, nor demons, nothing height, nor depth, nothing in all the creation can separate you from the love of God. You're untouchable. How many of us believe we're poor and we walk around with a poverty mentality? Well, the Bible says that he supplies all our needs according to his riches and glory. The Bible says, let the poor, the poor become rich in Christ. Do you believe that you are who God says you are? Are you in agreement with God in regards to your identity? How many of us believe lies that we're ugly? When you look in the mirror, you're constantly pointing out things that you need to fix. When God says you're fearfully, wonderfully made. Unloved. When the Bible says that it, that God showed his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You're not unloved. You're fully loved in Christ. Dirty. When you wear robes of righteousness. You know, the reality was that Saul was a king, but because he disagreed with God in his heart, he could not quite perceive it. And he was hiding when he needed to be standing. See, God's calling you today to stop agreeing with Satan regarding who you are and start agreeing with God. The second area where you got to start agreeing with God is agreeing with What God says you need. Because it's one thing to agree with God regarding who you are, but you also have to agree with God regarding what you need. Because people who agree with God regarding who who they are and who God says they are, but disagree with God in regards to what they need, they strive and they're constantly living this life of striving. People who agree with God regarding who they are, but not with what they need only end up striving to achieve things that they are supposed to receive. Or it can be the opposite. You don't know you don't agree with God regarding who you are, but you agree with him regarding what you need. And that's called religion. So we come into the house of God and we just act as slaves. You know, there's one person in the Bible who agreed with God as to who he was, but he disagreed with God in regards to what he needed. And that was the man of Abraham. That was a man named Abraham. I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 16. Look at Genesis chapter 16 real quick. Now, you guys all know the story of Abraham. God comes to Abraham and he tells him to leave everything. He tells him to leave his father and mother, leave his whole family and go to the place where I will show you. And Abraham says, all right. And so he grabs his wife and his cousin, Lot, and he grabs his his wife and his cousin and they leave. And so he agrees with God that he should leave, that that's where he should go. And then God visits Abraham and he gives him this mighty promise. He gives us this mighty promise that he's going to be a father to many nations, that, that as the stars are in the sky, sky and the sand is in the shore, so shall your offspring be. I mean, that's an amazing promise. And we see that Abraham, he builds an altar and he worships to God. He agrees with God that this is what God is calling him to do, but he disagrees with God as to how it's supposed to happen. Look at verse six, uh, chapter 16, verses one, 1 to 4. It says, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai Abram's wife took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. This is very weird. And he went into Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. You know, Abraham, he agreed with who God said he was, but he lived in disagreement with what God said he needed. He believed God when God said that he would be the father of many nations, but he disagreed when God said when how he was supposed to get there. You can look at it. Abraham and Sarah—they thought that Abraham needed a young, fruitful wife. When God thought that all Abraham needed was his barren wife, Sarah. All he needed was a barren wife and a fruitful God, and God would make her fruitful. You see it in—you see it in chapter 17 that he—he he even begins to try and justify what he's done by saying, God, why don't you, why don't you bless Ishmael? Why don't you bless the product of Ishmael? Because Ishmael is from my fruitfulness with Hagar. And God's like, I cannot bless that. I will only bless the child that comes through Sarah. You know, you know, you're living in disagreement with God. When you think that your circumstances are the primary indicator of whether or not you have what you need. When Abraham heard that word, when him and Sarah heard that word, they looked at each other and they were like, we don't have what we need. And so they brought in someone, they brought in Hagar. And there's many of us who do the same thing. We hear the promise of God, but then when we look around, all we see is barrenness. And so then we take it into our own hands to try and figure out how to meet our needs. You know, if you look at it from a worldly point of view, Abraham was, Abraham and Sarah did probably the most practical thing, right? Sarah's 90 plus years old and she's barren. Abraham's 100 years old and they're sitting there with this promise that he's going to be a father to many nations. What would the world say that they should do? Probably what they did. But because he lived in agreement with what the world said he should do to meet his need, he lived in disagreement with how God said he should meet his need. You know, Romans 12, 2 says, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Then you can test and approve God's good, pleasing and perfect will. That for many of us, when we look around, we don't see what we need to accomplish the will of God. But God's saying, are you looking to me to make it happen? Do you need the supernatural power of God to break out in your life? What are you agreeing with to think that you need in order to be obedient to God? Many of us think we need more money, more open doors, more degrees, more opportunities. And we forget about the one who says that I have set before you an open door that no man can shut. When we think we need more degrees, we forget about the fact that God's the one who says. I'm the one who gives you an instructed tongue. We see. We see in the Bible that the spirit of God is the spirit of counsel, that the anointing actually can teach us all things. But many times we agree with the world in regards to how we accomplish his will. And I'm not saying you don't need those things, but what you need is the direction, leading and presence of God more than anything else. God is the one who takes a barren situation and makes it fruitful. Takes unlearned men like the disciples and makes them ones who teach Pharisees the deep and unsearchable things. Of God, And when we miss this, this is when we stop hungering for the supernatural things of God because we know who we are. We agree with God in terms of who we are, but we disagree with God in terms of what we need. You know, I was an intern pastor for three years at New Philly, and I'll share a story. I was an intern pastor, and I, uh, right before I became an intern pastor, I got the... I got the intern pastor six months—not uh, the, the job, but I got the internship with New Philly six months after moving to Korea in 2008. And I worked at a hagwon. I worked at SLP. It was this hagwon in in uh, Olympic Park, so I lived over in Olympic Park by myself. Like I attended New Philly, but our campus was like over near Seoul National University, so I lived like an hour and a half away. So for those of you guys who travel an hour to get here, I know what you're going through. I know your struggle. And so I lived there by myself, one room apartment, and God had already spoken to me that he was calling me into full-time ministry. And so Pastor Christian had told me to apply for this intern pastor program. And so I applied. I applied and then he he was real. He kept it real with me. He was like, you should apply. But even though you're my disciple, you probably won't get it. (laughs) Why did you tell me to apply? (laughs) He was just wanting to keep my, you know, expectations low and me have no entitlement. So I applied and I got it. (laughs) And I was like, surprise you know and though but then when i applied that meant i had to quit my job and i'd only been there for six months and so it was october it was the month of october and i go and i I go in and i'm so happy i'm like yes i'm going to go right into full-time ministry and i go to my boss and i say hey check it out i need to quit my job because god's calling me into ministry and he's looking at me he's like oh no Oh, no. Okay, you, you need to do that. Okay, well, you need to pay for your flight because we flew you to get here. We flew you out here. You need to pay for your flight. We hired a recruiter to find you. I was like, you didn't find me. I found you. We hired a recruiter to find you. You got to pay for him, and then you got to pay for the plane ticket for the person who's going to replace you. And then we'll let you go from your visa and your contract. I was like, what? This is wrong. Immediately I was like, they're persecuting me. This is persecution. You know? <laughs> Somebody looks at you the wrong way, and Christians in, in the West think it's persecution. I thought it was persecution. So I call a pastor Christian. I'm like, Man, they they said I gotta pay, it was almost it was three grand. They said I gotta pay three grand. I don't even get paid three grand a month. How am I gonna pay this? And no severance, nothing. You just buy. And he was like, We need to pray. I was like, You're right, we need to pray. Why didn't I think about that? First thing I did was call other people and complain (laughs) rather than pray. And then, uh, and so we, we prayed and we prayed and we prayed no more than a couple days. We prayed together and we were just praying, 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 praying. And, and then I go into work. He told me, actually, yeah, he told me that on a Friday. I go into work on Monday. We prayed all that weekend. I go in on Monday and I go up to the boss and I'm like, You know, I've got like the sob story look going on, like, you know, sir, you know, kind, sir. Uh, have you rethought it? And he looks at me and he says, well, you're going to need to talk about that with a new director. New director? What are you talking about? Yeah, headquarters called and they, they're they calling me back in the headquarters and they're bringing in a new director tomorrow. I was like, oh, <laughs> you know, inside I was smiling. I was like, yes, by hours. Like, oh, so bad. I'm so sorry for you. And so we prayed some more. And then the next day I go into this new boss and I'm like, Hey, have you heard my situation? I want to tell you everything that's going on. He says, listen, actually I've heard your situation and here's what we're going to do. I want to make sure that you come out of this with money in your pocket. Now, for those of you who've worked in an academy or hog one, you know, this is unprecedented. Don't nobody care about the money in your pocket. But anyways. And so I was like, I was like, what? And he's like, you know what? Your plane ticket here. Let's figure it out. You don't have to pay the whole thing. Just, you worked here, say, you worked here seven out of the 12 months. So just pay. We'll do like a, you know, portion of it, a fraction. You just pay for five out of the 12. Okay. Uh, okay. Yeah. The recruiter fee. Don't worry about the recruiter fee. Uh, and also for the person to replace you, why should you pay for that? I said, like, yeah, why should I? <laughs> Don't worry about it. We got it. It went from three grand to a little under seven hundred. I was like, I'll pay that. I'll pay that all day. Here, take it. <laughs> and God was like, I told you, I'll supply all your needs. Then as I was an intern pastor, I lived By faith, meaning like, you know, how I talked about the offering forms, the people who live on support. I lived on support for three years and I'll share two quick testimonies in regards to needs that we think that God won't meet. I remember that I had credit card debt and I had credit card debt and I. I was in prayer one night and I was just praying and I was just spending time with God and I could hear the Lord whisper, pray for me to cancel your credit card debt. And I was like, what? God, you don't care about my debt. He said, pray for me to cancel your credit card debt. Okay? God, I pray for you to cancel my credit card debt. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay? Cool. I don't know if anything's going to happen. The next day, I call my mom because I'm from North Carolina. So what I would do is I would send money home to the states, and then I would have my mom take the money and then send it to where it needed to go. And I called my mom and said, like, hey, mom, how's it going? And she's like, baby, you need to, did you read the mail? And I was like, mom, I'm in Korea. I don't get the mail. You get the mail. Read me the mail. And so <laughs> <laughs> she opens up the mail and it says, dear Mr. Corpening. You no, know, Marcus A. Corpening. You know, they spell out your whole name. Marcus Angelo Corpening, <laughs> the first. Like, they put it all out there. Your credit card is currently in default. We have not received a payment from you for six months. Mom, what's going on? I don't know what's going on. What's going on? Mom, what's going on? Okay, Mom, I got to take care of it. Bye, bye. Okay, baby, bye. Felt like I was like, you need to pray. So I prayed. I prayed, and then I was at my end in regard to my credit card debt, and then all of a sudden, that week as I was praying, I prayed and I felt like I got to a point where God was like, hey, don't worry about it. I said I would meet all your needs according to riches and glory, right? Don't worry about it. Okay. All right. The next day, a guy comes up to me at our Friday prayer meeting and he says, hey, the Lord's put it on my heart to help pay your credit card debt. What? <laughs> Excuse me? Um, yeah, how much do you need? Now here's me in my poverty spirit saying, I didn't tell him the full amount. I told him part of it. So I was like, just, just this little bit. He said, okay, I'll send it to you right now. Done. <laughs> but then God, I could sense God was like, what's wrong with you? I put it right before you to meet all your needs and you only want half of it? <sighs> I'm sorry, God. The next day, another friend messaged me and said, hey, I put it on my heart to meet your credit card debt, to pay for your credit card debt. How much do you need? The whole thing. (laughs) And God met it supernaturally that week. Another testimony I, I have was that when some of you are thinking, well, why are you talking about money and all this stuff? Well, don't worry about that because, you know, Jesus, he's all the silver and gold belongs to him. And he desires to meet your needs, not you meet your needs. Deuteronomy chapter six says it's the Lord who gives you the ability to produce wealth. God is the one who provides for us. The last testimony I'll share was when I was raising support. As a support, as a support raiser, we raised, I raised my salaries like one. I lived off of like one mil a month. One meal a month. That's pretty much what I lived off of. And then I was in prayer again. And. God was like, now during that time, I was also like, you know, just thinking, God, is there other ways that you can, that I can make money? Maybe I should do graphic design. Maybe I should do all this stuff. God was like, trust me. And I was praying and God said, hey. Actually, God didn't even prompt me this time. I was just praying and I was like, God, it'd be cool if I made double this month in support than what I normally make, because it's hard to live off one meal. And I just prayed at one time. And then what happened was um, out of nowhere that month, I was getting, I was getting all these, all these donations and they were all one-time donations, meaning that people were just, I wasn't giving anyone a support letter. I wasn't asking anyone. And I was, I had realized I calculated it up and I was at 1,800, 1.8 mil for that month. And I remember sitting there in my room looking at that number and I was just so thankful to God. I was like, God, I prayed for two mil, but you brought me one. You gave me 1.8. You're such a good God. You meet all my needs. And then as soon as that happened, I felt the Holy Spirit promise to check your email. And I checked my email and I had an email from a friend in the States who said, hey, I'm gonna, I want to send you 200 U.S. dollars. I just felt it on my heart to support you. And so then I put in the numbers and I converted everything and it all came out. It came out to two mil and like 50 cent, like two mil and Obegwan. And I could hear the Holy Spirit saying, gotcha. Why do I share this? I share it because God doesn't want you to try and meet your own needs. He's the God who meets your needs. But many of us are living in disagreement with God in regards to how he can meet our needs when God is a supernatural God and he can meet your needs in supernatural ways. You know, I've been on tons of missions trips with our church, and every time I go on missions, I see God provide for us in supernatural ways even me coming to Korea, even in the ways that he did it, he opened up doors that no man could have opened up on his own. It wasn't mere coincidence that the director got switched out overnight. It was because God did it by his own supernatural hand. But if you don't agree with God that he, he's the God that can do that, that he's the God who makes all these things possible, then you won't hunger for those things and you won't see those things manifest in your life because agreement is powerful. See, the the last thing. Is agreeing with, with what God is calling us to do. See, when you start to agree with God in regards to who you are, that you realize that you are son of God, that you are fearfully and wonderfully made, that he loves you with an everlasting love, that you are pure, that you are holy, that you are righteous, when you start to agree with God in in the fact that he has made you by his own hand, and then you start to agree with God in the fact that he is a God who can provide for you supernaturally, that he can open up doors that no man can shut. When you start to believe those things, then doors start to open for you to do what God is actually calling you to do. But so many of us, we want to know the calling that God has for us before we're in agreement with him about our identity and about our relationship with him. But once you have those two things in alignment, then you can walk in agreement with what God is calling you to do. See, the reason why Saul, he later on disobeyed God and even lost the kingship was because he was not in agreement with God. For many of you who are walking in addiction, the issue is first that you don't see yourself as God sees you. You don't believe that God will provide for you in the way that he'll provide for you. For many of us that are struggling with hopelessness, you may believe that you're a son or daughter of God, but do you believe that God will open the doors for you? For those of you who maybe you've been just struggling with simply just coming out. Do you see yourself as a person of value and worth that your presence matters? Because God says it does. Do you recognize that what you need more than another good sermon or another good message is really an encounter with the presence of the living God? See, when you have those things in agreement, what comes next is that your life begins to align with the purposes of God for your life. You know, I share those testimonies not to gloat, not to say man, God's doing, I've seen so many amazing things that God's done in my life, but sometimes I struggle with believing that I am who God says I am. But God always pulls me back to a place of saying, Marcus, remember who you are. And when I struggle with believing that God will meet my needs, God says, hey, remember what I've done. And when I remember who I am and I remember what he's done, then I step out and I see God do crazy things. The Bible says that, we have the ministry of reconciliation. And another word for reconciliation is essentially agreement. That we have the ministry of helping people who are in disagreement with God agree with God once again. But before that happens in anyone else's life, it has to first happen in yours. The reason why the church doesn't reach people is because people look and they see that if your life isn't in agreement with God, How do you expect my life to be? But today, God wants to bring you back into agreement with him. How do we do that? We reject those things that we believed about ourselves. We reject those lies that we've told ourselves over and over, and we take on the truth of who we are, your son and daughter of God, that you have been bought at a hefty price, And we remember what God has done for our lives. I know this is a simple message, but I feel that for many of you, it's a core issue in your heart. So I want to just take some time and pray together.